Welcome, Valley family. We are continuing this series uh, that we've been on. This is actually message number three uh, in the series that we're calling How to Beat the Odds. First two weeks, we talked about marriage, and uh, last week, my wife Susie joined me, and didn't she do a fantastic job? Uh, just start such... She, uh, she's the brains and the beauty behind everything, uh, for sure, and uh, it's just pretty nice having her uh, next to me, doing that together. I asked her right before service if she wanted to join me again. She said, no, that's fine. I'll just sit in the front row. Thank you very much. Uh, but, but during our time together today, we want to talk about parenting. And, uh, you know, what, what, my experience may be 27 years as a pastor, uh, the two issues where people start getting the most uptight, uh, it's not marriage, it's, it's money and parenting. Uh, marriage, you can say anything you want because they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm married to a deadbeat spouse. You know, they're just good for nothing or anything. Don't get offended. But when you talk about people's kids, all of a sudden everyone gets really, really uh, uptight. And, and I think one of the reasons behind that is we all know none of us are perfect parents. And because none of us are perfect parents, our kids sure are not turning out perfect either. Uh, but although the odds are stacked against us, uh, God wants to intervene. And that's what this whole series is all about. Going back to our, our main verse for this, this, uh, this whole series in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, it says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So though the odds are against us, God is for us. And we saw that. It was last two weeks as we talked about marriage. We're going to be looking at parenting together. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about friendship, you know, with social media especially. Uh, we, we have a whole list of friends, but they're really not friends. Uh, there's never been so much loneliness in our culture as there is right now with the advent of social media and all those other things that you would think would benefit us. And so we're going to talk about friendship uh, next week, and I invite you back uh, to join us for that. But even with the odds stacked against us, even in the bumper that we saw as parents, if God is for us, it doesn't matter what the odds are. He always tips the scale in our favor. And so this whole series is meant to encourage, to, to really build you up, maybe give you some skills from the Bible as well to apply to marriage and parenting and friendship uh, as well. And so if you have your Valley apps, go ahead and open them up. And I want to start off in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Maybe if you've been around any type of church for any amount of time, you've probably heard this before. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. It says, start children off on the right path. So that's important. There, there is a right path. And, and what's the inference there? If there's a right path, what does it also mean? There's a wrong path. If there's a right path, that means there's more than one option. If, if there was no other options, it was just start them off on the path. But it's a right path. Start children off on the right path. And even when they're old, they will not turn away from it. If you start them off on the right path. Now, as we start this series... I'm going to start this message, rather. I just want to say, so everyone knows where I'm coming from, uh, my wife Susie and I have three daughters, uh, Michaela, Brooke, and Sophia, uh, 22, 20, and 18 years old. They're all in college right now, be coming home for spring break uh, pretty soon, and so we're already thinking, man, there goes the empty nest, you know, even for a week. We love it just being the two of us. Uh, we, we loved our kids. We, we still love our girls and all that, uh, but it's really nice just the two of us, and they'll probably be hearing this message later on. They're like, 
like, yeah, dad always said he couldn't wait till we leave. Uh, but uh, love our girls to death. The thing that, that I want you to understand, we're not perfect parents, so our kids are not perfect. And we've had our struggles and uh, probably share some of that in, in our time together. Uh, our girls have pulled the best parenting out. Of, they've made us better parents uh, because of the things that we've had to walk through as, as mom and dad. All three of our daughters, very, very different, different personalities, different outlooks on life. Uh, and and I, I've done my best parenting, really, I think, in the last few years, literally. Those teenage years, we only have one left. She's going to be 19 soon, and then we're out of those teenage years, thank God. But here's the most important thing I think you ought to know. Not that our girls are perfect, although they're awesome. Uh, and, and, and we're not perfect parents, but here's the thing. All three of our girls love Jesus Christ and are serving him today. And I'm so thankful for that every time they come home and we have opportunity to talk with them and they share with us what God's doing in their life or when we FaceTime with them. Uh, just, just the other night we were doing it with one of our girls and we were just looking at each other. We we're actually on a phone call uh, and so she couldn't see our face, but Susie and I are like, who is this? Because she's just talking about, I just feel like God's you know, put this on my heart and I've been praying and he answered my prayer for this and all this. And we're like, wow, what in the world has happened? One thing I know is this, we tried everything that we possibly could when they were young to put them on the right path, to put them on the right path. And there's a wrong path, but there's also a right path. And that's what I really want to look at during our time together. Again, not for guilt, condemnation, anything like that, uh, but, but to help us out because it doesn't matter where you are as a parent. If you still have that parental responsibility and they're home with you, even if they're 58 and, and they're living in the basement, it, you still have responsibility. If they're under your roof, if, if they're eating your food, you're still responsible for them. Uh, and, and that's why it's good for them to go. Uh, put them on the path, they'll go. See, get them on the path and let them walk down that path. There you go, on your own now. So, so anyway, here's the thing about the path. Start the child off on the right path, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. Here's, here's the problem, as I see it and I understand it as a pastor, that most parents face. And this is the reality, and so I just want to make this statement, and then I think it will work its way out through the rest of our time together. You cannot prepare the path for your child. You must prepare your child for the path. You can't prepare the path for your child. The path dictates the destination. So many parents are trying to manipulate and control the path rather than parent the child. There's a big difference there. Huge difference there. So you cannot, you cannot prepare the path for your child. There is the good path. You must prepare your child for that path. And there's all different approaches to, to parenting, and we're going to go to the Bible, and we're going to look at what the Bible has to say uh, about parenting, because we're, we're here at church, that's what you would expect. But, but in our culture and society, it's almost like we go everywhere besides to the one who created the family, to find out how the family's supposed to work. And so what we really have is what, what I call alphabet soup parenting. Alphabet soup parenting. We have all these different approaches rather than what is the creator, God himself, what does he say a father and mother? How are they supposed to parent their children? And so we have these alphabet soup parenting approaches like this, for instance, the EMT parent. The EMT parent is the parent who's always rescuing their child. 
always rescuing their child. In other words, it's the teacher's fault, it's the bus driver's fault, it's the coach's fault, it's the boss's fault, it's everyone else's fault. It, it may be even another parent's fault, but it's never my child's fault. That's the EMT parent trying to prepare the path instead of preparing the child and parenting the child. And what's the result of the EMT parent constantly rescuing any, any little thing, any struggle, anything that doesn't go exactly the way that Johnny Jr. wants it to go? Then we just have to swoop in and rescue them just like an EMT. What's the result? We have overindulgent, overprotective, and overcommitted parents. EMT parenting. Alphabet soup. How about this one, the NCAA parent? This is the, the, the parent that knows in the hospital, my child's gonna be the next Tiger Woods. It's almost like the parent is not a parent, is a sports agent instead. And is living vicariously, and I know what I'm talking about here, having coached high school football for, for over a decade, living vicariously through their child and pushing the child and poking the child and prodding the child and really like, I'm going to be your agent. You're going to be the next prima ballerina or the next Pavarotti or Tiger Woods or Derek Jeter or whoever that is. This is the NCAA parent. There's so much time, so much energy, so much effort going into things when really 10 years from now, it will make no difference in the life of that young adult. None. But all the energy and focus, the NCAA parent. And, and listen, as I said, I, I coached high school football for 12 years. I saw these so many times. And it's just tragic. Our own girls, I insisted as their father that they all three play a varsity sport, and they all did in high school because of the, the dynamic that you learn in a team sport when people are dependent on you to play your role and you're dependent on other people to play their role. I, I think there's something incredible, uh, particularly about high school athletics, team sports. I, I, and that's why I insisted on it for our girls, and it was a real positive experience. But there were some struggles as well. And I refused to be the NCAA parent, and I refused to be the EMT parent when things didn't go their way. Instead, I wanted to be the parent that God wanted me to be. And, and my wife, she wanted to be the parent that God had created her to be as well instead of the push, push, push. NCAA parents see themselves as a coach, not as a mom or a dad. And the reality is, if your child is gifted in some area, they're going to have a lot of coaches, but they'll only have one mother and father. Only one. And, and, and let me just say this. If you're in the throes of that right now, let me just give you a little, a little advice from a guy who used to coach and, and all this. I used to practice the 24-hour rule with our girls. I'd go to the games, I'd sit in the stands, I'd cheer for them, but for 24 hours, they knew that the coach was there to correct them, not me, I'm dad. And so it would take 24 hours after a game or a competition when I would even say something like, hey, what happened on that play after all? My girls are here right now, they'd tell you, they'd exactly this is the thing that would come out of daddy's mouth after a game. You know what it was? Not like you played real well, you were off your game, nothing like that. I always told my girls, I just love watching you play. Whether they messed up, or whether they scored three goals, I just love watching you play. 
coach is not going to tell them that. They're not going to hear that from a coach. They need to hear that from mom or dad. I just love... I just love watching you run up and down the field. Dad, I never got the ball. I never got to shoot. Yeah, but, man, you just look so graceful running up and down. (laughs) That's not exactly the NCAA parent. And then how about this, the YMCA parent. The YMCA parent. This is the parent that just desperately wants to be buddy to the child. Just wants to be the buddy. And in fact, dads, we're, we're kind of guilty of this a lot of times. We even call our children, my little buddy. No, that's your son. That's your daughter. Again, your kids are going to have a lot of friends in their lifetime. Only one mom. Only one dad. Be the father. Be the mother. Not the buddy. I, we, the, the goal, ultimately, of parenting is Friendship. But that happens like kind of where we are now in the late teens and the 20s. A lot of times when the kids are younger, it's like you've got to be the authority. You've got to draw the line. You've got to be the, the disciplinarian, the one that corrects. And, and if you do that and you do that successfully, this buddy thing, it happens much, much later. We're enjoying the friendship. Right now, our three girls are probably some of the closest friends that we have, Susie and I. But it wasn't like that when they were eight. It wasn't like that when they were 12, and Lord knows it wasn't like that when they were 16. Kind of grow into that. If you start out that way, it's like they'll never also, they never respect you as parents if you're just trying to be their best bud all the time. And then here's another one. How about the PhD parent? The PhD parent. The PhD parent is the one that, that overthinks everything, that reads a book about every single choice that's possible out there, that psychoanalyzes and, and, and gives all the options and, and looks at the child that as if they have the wisdom to actually make the decision on their own at two and a half. When a child doesn't know what's best for them, a child doesn't know what's, what's, what's really going to benefit them in the long term, this is what I call the PhD parents. And again, I believe, and the scripture makes it, God gives parents wisdom on the way that that child should go, the path that they should be on. And that child sometimes cannot see that path, particularly in, in younger uh, developmental stages and, and, and early adolescence as well. They just don't know and have no idea. And so maybe you find yourself fitting into one of those alphabet soup kind of approaches to parenting EMT, NCAA, YMCA, or PhD. But let's look at it again. Proverbs chapter 22 in verse 6, and it says, start the child off on the right path. That's the path that God has for them. And when they're old, they will not turn away from it. One of the things, and I know this might sound a little odd, but one of the things I've always been aware of as our girls were growing up is how I was fathering them, how Susie was mothering them, as we were parenting them together on the same page, we were impacting our future grandchildren. Instead of just trying to survive the day, as it's so easy for parents to just slide into, just get them to bed, just get them to bed. That we were setting a precedent with every decision we made. 
every commitment that they wanted to make that we said, okay, if you do this, you're going to do it for the whole season, for the whole term. I'm not going to let you quit. I'm not going to encourage that character flaw in your life. That we were setting a precedent because we wanted them to be on the right path so that one day when God blesses us with grandchildren, that our kids will put those kids on the right path as well. And so start them off. This is a promise from God. If we'll start the children off on the right path, God says they won't get off the path. They will not turn away from it when they get older. And so the whole key, I believe, to parenting is parenting the way that God wants us to parent our kids. How the our heavenly father who, isn't it interesting, of all the titles that he could have claimed, heavenly father was the one that he's most referred to as. And do you know, maybe you don't realize this, he's never referred to father in the Old Testament. It was Jesus, actually, when the disciples said, teach us how to pray, and he said, our father, and we hear that and go, oh, oh. that when he taught the disciples how to pray, and he said, our father, there was a gasp, <gasps> Our what? He said, our father. Radical. He said, that's how God cares about you. He wants to be your father. Then on the day that Jesus is baptized, God speaks audibly as Jesus comes out of the water. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Nobody can parent like our Heavenly Father can. He's the ultimate perfect parent. And he makes this promise. Start your child off on the right path. And even when they're old, they will not turn away from it. Well, I was studying and I came across this verse. And I thought, you know, this is a great, uh, just kind of like, if, if you want to say mission statement for parenting. Look at this. In Psalm 144, verse 12, the Bible says, and it's almost like a blessing. It's like a prayer. It's kind of like a flare. It's like a wish. May your sons in their youth, not when they're old men, may your sons in their youth be like plants full grown. How about that? May your sons when they're young be mature. What a great blessing. Our daughters like corner pillars cut from the structure of a palace. Pillars that hold up, that they can carry the weight. May your daughters be like pillars that can carry the weight when they're young. And may your sons be full grown, mature when they're young men. What a great mission statement. You know, it's kind of crazy in our culture how adolescence is just getting extended further and further and further and further. So now we look, at a, we look at a young man who's 25 and like, oh, he's just a kid. When I was 25, I was a senior pastor of this church. And I'd been married for three years. And my wife was pregnant with our first child. Paying all my own bills. Didn't need mom and dad for anything. Not a penny, not a dime. Nothing. 25 years old. It's just crazy. Like, we don't even have the goal. Like, boy, you need to grow up. You need to be a man. You need to take care of yourself. 5,000 years ago, the psalmist wrote, may your sons in their youth be like plants full grown. 
Our daughters like corner pillars cut from the structure of a palace. This is what I think every parent wants. This is the, the, to grow our children, to raise our children so that they're independent and that they have a relationship with God for themselves. That it's not, not contingent upon us. I, I love this verse and quite honestly, I'm sure I read it sometime before, but I don't ever remember that. It's just like as I was saying, it just leapt off the page at me. So here's the thing. Before I share with you five real practical ways that we can beat the odds in parenting, let me say this. And I think this just sets the table for everything else we're going to look at. Moms, dads, you don't love your children as much as God does. God loves your kids more than you do. He does. Just let that sink in for just a minute. As much as you love your children, you don't love your children as much as God does. He loves them perfectly, flawlessly, unconditionally every moment of their life. There's never been a time in your child's life, nor will there ever be a time in your child's life where God thinks less of them. God loves your kids even more than you do. God loves my three daughters more than I do. And it's with that framework, that, that backdrop, that understand, that incredible truth that should be the reason why we don't go to all the other books. We go to God to show us as moms and dads how to love our kids and how to parent our kids because he loves them even more than we do. And so let me share with you five principles to beat the odds in parenting. Real practical, and I want to make it so, so that you can put a handle on this and, and carry it out of here and start living it. Because at the end of the day, it's not what we believe as much as what we believe is important. It's what we actually do. It's what we actually act upon. Here's the first thing. Focus on God's path. Focus on the path that God has for your kids. When, when, when they were just young and babies, we used to hold them and, and just like parents and, and we'd think and we'd dream. But you know what else we'd do? We'd pray. God, show us what your plan is for this child. I, I, I'd hold my girls and just, God, help me to see this girl and the woman that you're going to grow her into and that I can put her on the path. Focus on God's path. So incredibly important. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 talks about a different path. Look at this. Before every man there lies a wide and pleasant road or a path that seems right, but, end, but its end is death. There, there is a good path. Put them on the right path, but there's also a wrong path. And you know what? It seems good. It seems right. It seems pleasant in our own eyes. And that's why we can't put them on the path that we want them to be the doctor or the NBA star or whatever it is. I want, I want my child to do this or be this. God, what's your path? What's, what's the path that you have? What is the unique purpose that you created this child for? God, help me to see that plan and purpose for my child. 
Because if I don't see your plan and purpose before every man, there lies a wide and pleasant road. And it seems right. But the end is not right. Not right at all. Contrast this in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, the wrong path. Watch the right path in Psalm 16, 11, God's path. You've shown me the path of life, the psalmist writes, and you make me glad, what? By being near to me. Sitting at your right hand, I will always be joyful. The psalmist says, you show me the right path. And you know what that path is? Pursuing you, Lord. That's the right path. That that I find real joy, not in the trophy, not in the ribbon, not in the dean's list. The real joy I find is in your presence, God. Because that's where I begin to understand who I really am and who you created me to be. You've shown me the path to real life. What did Jesus say? Remember, he said, I have come that you would have life and that life more abundantly. You only find that with Jesus, only with him. And so there's a right path and there's also a wrong path. There's the path of life and then there's a way that seems right to men, but the end is destruction as we just saw in Proverbs. It says, you show me the path of life here and you make me glad what? By being near to me, sitting at your right side, I will always be joyful. Focus on God's path. How do you do that real practically? We saw this over and over again as our kids were growing up. When we would have family dinner, family conversation, we tried to have that probably five nights a week, if at all possible. And, and we would just ask them, hey, how did your day go? What, what happened today? And, 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 and they'd begin sharing with us, and they're like, oh, yeah, this happened. And, you know, and, and, and I'm not saying about any of the young ladies here, but in general, teenage girls, lots of drama, lots of drama. And, and uh, so, so we would hear this, and this one said this, and this one made fun of this one's shoes, and then they got in a fight, and, you know, they flamed this one on Facebook. All this stuff is going on and on. And then well, we would always pray, so he's like, God, just give us the crack. Just give us the crack so we can bring you into the situation. And we say, well, what do you think God feels about that response that you took there? Do you think you were being a good friend from Jesus' perspective to them? Always trying to remind them, this is the path that you're on. This is the path that you're on. Don't get off on another path, but look at the path of life that God has created you for. Here's the second thing. Reprioritize your marriage. First, focus on God's path. Second thing, reprioritize your marriage. And I'm not going to go into this in great detail because for two weeks we've been talking about the importance of beating the odds in marriage. And again, same thing with family. God created the family. Before he created the family, he created husband and wife. He created marriage. And God knows how marriage is supposed to work the best. But what we learned last week, uh, as, as Susie was sharing and, and I was sharing, was this, we have to reprioritize our marriage. That husband and wife come before kids. And that has to continue to be the priority relationship. Remember this verse? We looked at it. Uh, 
in terms of reprioritizing our marriage, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, it's actually the most quoted verse uh, repeated in the Bible. As the scripture says, and I'm using a New Living Translation just to kind of bring some fresh air to it after a couple of weeks, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. The two become one. That means that relationship comes before every other human relationship, husband and wife. Because you're one with each other. That, that your spouse is more important. That relationship has to be valued above your children. If you come into a marriage, a blended family with kids from other marriages, other relationships, in that wedding, you're actually saying, no longer are my kids going to be first. They're second. My spouse that I'm making a covenant with, as we talked about last week, my, my covenant spouse is going to be first because nowhere in the Bible does it say a father is one with his child. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that a mother is one with her child. It says a husband is one with his wife and a wife is one with her husband. It can't be divided. And so if, if we're going to really parent our kids the way God wants us to, there has to be that oneness reprioritizing our marriage. Let me put it this way. What you value, you will prioritize, and what you prioritize, you will invest in. That is an immutable law of the universe. What's really important to you, you'll make time for. And if your spouse is really important to you, you'll make time for them. And if they're more important to you than your kids, you'll prioritize the time with your spouse above, not to ignore the kids, but you'll prioritize your time with your spouse and you'll invest in your marriage. You'll invest in that relationship with your spouse long before you even begin to invest in that relationship with the kids. The reason why Susie and I are enjoying empty nests so much now is because we prioritized and invested in our marriage before the kids ever came. And when they came, we felt like we were inviting them into our relationship. Now that they're gone, college most of the year, our relationship has grown over the last 22 years since we've had children in the house. It's not where it was when the baby came, first one. It's grown. It's flourished. And so now we're like, yeah, they're coming home for spring break, aren't they? Wow. Maybe they could just go to Paris or something. That would be all right. You know, Susie said, no, I want my babies home. Okay, all right, so we're going ahead. Reprioritize your marriage. Here's the third thing. Make the church your family's epicenter. Make, make, make the church your family's epicenter. All right, I have, a, I have a confession to make. And while we were praying before the service, I actually mentioned this to some of the staff and there was like a gasp because they'd never heard this before. But <clears throat> Growing up, I had a drug problem. My parents drugged me to church every service, all the time. They always just drugged me here, drugged me. Every time the doors were open, they drugged me to church. And you know what? That's why I am who I am today. Because it wasn't just a thing. It was the thing. Listen, I can remember on Friday nights as the captain of John Jay football team 
when they're having a huge pep rally that I had to go to youth group first before the pep rally because my father said, Jesus is always going to be with you. That team, you won't even know those guys 10 years from now. And that's molded me and made me who I am. And my two brothers as well and my younger sister. And so make the church your family's epicenter. Let me ask you a question. Where else are you ever going to go as a family for the sake of becoming everything God wants you to be as individuals and as a family? Where else are you going to go? What other option is there in our culture that as a family you can discover the purpose that God created you for? There's all kinds of options. But, but, but where else, what other institution can you go to that wants to see your family succeed more than anything else? Wants to see your marriage flourish more than anything? Where else in our culture? Where else in our town and community? I may be a little biased. Nowhere. Nowhere. Besides the church. Make the church your family's epicenter. I love this verse, Psalm 122, verse 1. It says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the Lord's house. I was glad. Not like, all right, got nothing else to do. I guess I'm go check that out. I was glad. I was joyful when they said, it's time to go to church. See, it's not something we have to do. My dad, I can just hear him saying this today. As I was growing up, church is not something we have to do. It's something we get to do. It's something we get to do. This is an honor. This is a privilege to gather with God's people and, and worship him and hear from his word that changes us and transforms our lives. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the Lord's house. Now listen, I want to say something right here and just kind of pause for a minute. And I know this, this is going to be recorded as well. And I'm going to say this in every one of the services that we have this weekend. And, and this is just coming from my heart. But I dare say you've probably never heard a pastor anywhere, anytime say what I'm about to say. You ready? If you're not excited about what's happening in Valley Christian Church, Find a church where you are excited and join there. If you're not excited about what's happening, find a place that you're excited about and be committed there. Because if, if I'm really being true to what God has made me as a pastor, I want you to grow if it's here or somewhere else. I want you to grow. I want you to be everything that God created you to be. I really want your marriage to flourish. I really want your kids to be fantastic and your family to be phenomenal and impact generations to come. That's what I want more than anything else. And if you're not excited about what's happening here, I encourage you, find another church where you are excited and go all in. Be plugged in. Don't hold anything back. 
Because one, I've never regretted as a man now that my parents made the church the epicenter. My wife Susie, her, her father wasn't a pastor at the time. They made the church the epicenter. That's why she is who she is today. Never regretted it for a moment. And, and this is what I promise you. If, if you consistently are hearing a boring message here, a Valley Christian Church, don't blame the book. Blame the messenger. It's my fault. If you're hearing message after message and it's putting you to sleep, go find some place that will excite you when God's word is being preached because the messenger's the problem, not the message. But I am so thankful for the staff that we have here at Valley Christian Church, for our student ministries, for our kids' ministries that are just so committed to seeing your kids flourish, seeing your students flourish. That's why we do the things that we do in creative ways to communicate in practical truth, life-changing truth from God's word. That's what we're all about. But if you find it boring, find a place that excites you because you'll be so much better off. You really will. And like I said, I dare say you'll probably never hear a pastor say that. But that's coming from my heart because I want to see God's best for you. And if it's not here, I want you to be where you're going to experience God's absolute best for you. Make the church your family's epicenter. Here, here's the fourth real, real practical principle to beat the odds of parenting. Embrace the struggle. <laughs> parenting is a struggle. Parenting's hard work. And at the same time, it's some of the best work you'll ever do. When we see our girls, I say that to Susie oftentimes under my breath because I don't want them to get like creeped out or anything, you know. That's the best work we've ever done. That's the best work we've ever done. I'm so proud of my girls. It's been a struggle. And you know what? The struggle was worth it. The payoff was worth it. There have been times in each one of my daughter's lives, particularly in those teen years, 14, 15, 16, they'd tell you this if they were really honest. I couldn't stand dad. I didn't even like daddy. And I'd look at them sometime, and they would, never, they would never be so disrespectful to say that to my face, but I could look in their eyes, and I could tell. And so I'd just call them right out on it. I'd say, listen, honey, <clears throat> I know you don't like me right now, but guess what? <laughs> I don't even care. Because I'm not trying to be your friend. I'm your father. And one day you'll understand, and one day you'll remember, and you will thank God that I said no, no more, it's over, that's done. And all three of you, all three of my girls would tell you that, they're like, shh, and they'll probably tell you the date and the time of the day. They're like, boy, when dad, I just couldn't even stand him. Our, our last baby girl, she's a freshman now in college. And when we, we, we drove her home after dropping the two sisters off for her senior year, she came back with us for her senior year, she walked in the door, and she burst into tears. 
for a senior year in high school. I said, honey, what's wrong, Sophie? <clears throat> she said, this is going to be awful. She said, this is going to be like prison. And I said, it might be. But you're the one who's going to determine that, not me. And you know what? The end of her senior year, right before graduation, she came to Susie and I before her sisters returned from college for her graduation. She broke down crying. And I said, was it that awful? She said, no, Daddy. This has been the best year of my life. She said, I'm going to miss you and Mama so much. Thank you for everything you did for me when I couldn't even stand you. Embrace the struggle. Embrace the struggle. It's a struggle. It's a struggle for us as parents. And I'm not so old to forget of what I put my parents through. And it's a struggle for the kids too. In fact, this is a pretty interesting verse in the Bible. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 27 puts it this way. When we're young, it's good to struggle hard. And all the teenagers said, uh-oh. See, that's the problem with the EMT parent. That's the problem with the parents that are trying to rescue their kids. You, you, you make weak children that way. The Bible says when we're young, it's good to struggle. It's good to have a lot of things required of us. Things like chores and responsibilities in the house and, and things that our parents are counting on. Those things are good. It, it, it's good when you can to like get a job and have a boss that doesn't love you like your mommy and daddy do and doesn't treat you the way your mommy and daddy does. Don't rescue them from that. It's good to struggle. This is the truth of the Bible. When we're young, it's good to struggle hard is what the Bible says. And here's the fifth thing. Communicate the family vision. Communicate the family. Have a vision for your family and communicate it to your kids. I, I, I haven't done it right as a father. I'm not, I'm not a perfect dad. Susie hasn't done it right. She's a practically perfect, but she's not perfect. <clears throat> but this is something we've done a real good job at. Communicating a vision to our kids. Even when we were young, we were like, someday... And our girls would actually, Daddy, tell us about someday. Someday, when you're all grown, and you come back, Christmas time or something like that, and we're all here together. You got your families. So, so someday, when God brings those men into your lives, each of you, that special man that God's created for, someday, just giving them a vision for, and we talk about even doing crazy things like this, like going to church together as a family. Giving them a vision. And, and I would share stories about things that my grandfather taught me about Jesus. 
truth that, that my grandfather told me. And you know why I did that? Because one day as grandpa, I'm going to do that to my grandchildren as well. Give a vision for your friend. Not just to make it till bedtime with everybody bathed, you know, and homework done. Have a bigger vision for your family than that. What's it going to look like five years from now? What's it going to look like 10 years from now? Our oldest daughter, when she was 14 years old, had already decided where she was going to college. Do you know how much pressure that takes off of parents? It's just like, just like, this is where I'm going. This is what I'm going to study. 14, maybe it was 15. Wasn't over that. Because she had a vision that was given to her from her mother and father for the family and where she fits into that. Communicate the family vision. Proverbs 29, 18 puts it this way. Where there's no vision, the people perish, and that includes our kids. When they have no purpose, when, when no one is breathing vision and purpose and insight and, and big thinking and long term into their life, they perish. Just surviving, not thriving. Of course, you probably have heard this before. And, and this is like great Christian like artwork. You see this all the time, but man, it's so true. Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. We'll serve the Lord. And I've got to tell you this, and don't mishear it. It's not arrogance. It's not pride. There is never a moment in my life, in my kids' lives, that I ever even thought one day they will not be serving Jesus. Never entered my mind. Never even thought. Not because they were all perfect. Not because we didn't have a real struggle. But because my confidence was this. I have done what God has asked me to do. I've put them on path and when they're old they won't depart from it and now they're older than they used to be and they're still on the path still on that path as for me and my family we will serve the Lord and I'm my wife Susie and and, and many of you as well you're, you're the answer to your grandparents prayers that determined generations ago, our family's gonna serve the Lord. Our family's gonna serve the Lord. On my mother's side, that's the truth. On my father's side, he is the first in generations to be a Christian. And look at what God did in just a few generations. And so I say that to, to bring hope to you, to encourage you. If that's not your family tree, start it. Let it start with your generation. Moms, dads, grandmas, grandparents. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And maybe you're here right now, and I want to close with this. You're like, man, I just did the best I could. My whole family was really screwed up. You know, I just, I was just trying to do the best I could, and and I realized I made a whole lot of mistakes. What what am I going to do? Look to God because he's the perfect father. We sing that song here even sometimes. You're a good, good father. That's who you are. That's who you are. Dads, 
Maybe your dad wasn't the best father, but your heavenly father is. He's a perfect father. We see this all throughout scripture. He's a good father. And he can guide us. He can direct us. He can give us the wisdom that we need right in the moment for what we need in that moment to parent our kids. Because you can't always call the pastor. Can't always call the guidance counselor. You can always call on him. Wow, what an incredible message from our lead pastor, Greg Williamson. But before we close out today, we need to ask a question. God is a good, good father, but is he your good, good father? Right now, I want to lead you all in prayer that want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for the first time today. If you would, please join me in just bowing your head and closing your eyes. And if you are this person today, I want you to repeat these words after me. And I'll go slow. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe that he rose again on the third day. And I believe that you have all power and authority in your hands. I accept your gift of salvation and I accept that you are my good, good father. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to say congratulations to all of you that prayed that prayer of salvation. And before we close out today, I want to pray for anyone that's watching right now that may be a parent, that may be struggling, dealing with the trials and tribulations that come with raising a child and give you some encouragement today as well. So would you again join me and bowing your head and closing your eyes for this. God, we come to you right now for every single parent watching on this screen that may be dealing, Lord, with tough uh, situations with raising their children, trying to do the right thing, trying to deal with certain behaviors and tendencies. God, I pray that today that from this message, they not only feel encouraged, but they also feel challenged to trust in you and to walk in the ways where Father not only will be pleasing in your sight, but also it will train their children up in the ways of the Lord as well. Father, we thank you for the forgiveness that you give each and every one of us. And I pray that if there is anyone out there right now that may be unforgiving to themselves for things that they've done with their children. I pray that they also forgive themselves and that they may take this opportunity to make better decisions and to live in the grace and the mercy of you, our good, good Father. Receive glory and honor and praise today in our lives and in our children. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Once again, thank you so much for watching today's message. See you next time. Thank you for listening to audio from Valley Christian Church located in Hopewell Junction, New York. Please visit us online at valleychristianchurch.net for more information. Thank you.